The year is 1986. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And I'm Chris. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we go through all of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and alongside Dave, the comic book expert, uh, we're going to be talking about Squadron Supreme today. And we just didn't think we were qualified enough, so we had to reach into the into the multiverse and pull from another dimension. We pulled over Chris from the Chris's on Infinite Earth podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be thanks here. Thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Squadron Supreme is a, is kind of a kind of a minted classic at this point, I would say. So I've, I'm pretty excited to dig into it. Yeah, for sure. Pulled you from Earth Seven Twelve, the Squadron Supreme universe, <laughs> to be specific. True. Yeah, so that's right. We're talking all Squadron Supreme, all episode long. Again, at my Marvel this year here, we read through a curated list of the most essential and sometimes best comics in Marvel history. We are in 1986 still. This has been a long year, but guess what? We're right at the end of it. And uh, and we're going to talk about this this kind of classic, kind of cult classic uh, by Mark Grunewald, Bob Hall, and uh, and a little bit of Paul Ryan fill-ins. And you know what? Paul Ryan, get, you know, he gets a rap these days, right, for being spineless. And I just got to say, like, when you're bent over the artboard for as long as he's been, your spine might get a little loose. You know what I mean? Right? Like, he's got an interesting career. Oh, he's the wonk so. wonk. So it's just, you know, like, it's very surprising this is how he started out. But, uh, you know. Nothing tickles me like Paul Ryan showing up and John Bolton on those X-Men classics. Uh, it just, it gets me every time. I yeah, guess. I know. Maybe yeah. it's my... <laughs> Those are jokes just who's, for me. Who's the other one? But oh, anywho. Billy Graham. Yeah, we get Billy Graham in there. Oh, and good old too. Billy. Yeah. That's true, too. A lot of comics crossover. Uh, I also, like, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of editor Ralph Macchio, yes. who I always expect to be doing Karate Kid Oh, notes. my gosh. He gets referenced in, like, a Lonely Island song. And for the longest time, I thought they were talking about the Marvel Just, like, comics a real editor. deep cut on Marvel comics. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's the craziest that's deep a, cut. So that's good. That's the most, like, insular kind of nerd yeah. thing. You're like, no, not that nerd thing. The other nerd thing. <laughs> Exactly. So Squadron Supreme is a, is a really interesting 12-issue uh, standalone series. It is now technically connects back to some some Roy Thomas Avengers days. Mm, Jack, yeah. or Jack, geez, Zach, your guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Squadron Supreme debuted in the 70s as the Squadron Sinister, or rather in Avengers number 70, I think it is. And they then very quickly become the Squadron Supreme. So there's a lot there's a lot of surprisingly complicated history that goes into what is ultimately just Marvel's DC Justice League analogs that aren't the Justice League, because guess what? That's another publishing company. Um, so the, the actual what you need to know here is not that complicated, but the history of the franchise is like super weird and kind of confusing and like there's a nighthawk you know in the squadron supreme here who's the batman analog Mm -hmm. but we know nighthawk from the defenders because he shows up in the 70s but guess what that nighthawk that we know from the 70s defenders he's dead he's from the squadron sinister and he turned good he's not this squadron supreme version how crazy is that a little a little crazy i'm just glad (laughs) it's a it's a little crazy um i'm just glad we are in the jim shooter era so at least we get an explanation because jim shooter could not let like a a comic fully stand alone he's like no you have to explain things no it is so the first issue in particular is so exposition heavy um in in some ways that actually are kind of important you know so like we we get both plot synopsis exposition like that little that kind of continuity wonk speaking of wonks that continuity wonk thing that Grunewald is very good at um and, and clearly kind of dedicates himself to over his long run on captain america which is to come here in marvel but he's like all right how do we get from the weird defenders issues that you as a longtime marvel reader might remember the squadron supreme appearing in how do we get from all that with the overmind where he made them become a fascist government to this story now, right? And you get a really, really detailed explanation. Um, and it kind of works. I The weird thing about it is, like, it's heavy-handed. And, yes, it's a whole heck of a lot of that shooter exposition. But it actually kind of works in terms of why the Squadron Supreme would be in the position they are now on their Earth to say, 
all right, we need to try something new. We need to take over as the world's government. We need to instill peace on Earth, essentially. If I'm going to give Grunwald, like, I, I think the biggest compliment I can give him during this, for this whole thing, is that he took kind of a messy... <sighs> It's not that messy of a conceit, but, like, that he took all these characters that are not particularly well-known or established in the Marvel mm -hmm. universe at all. Like, they're not really in interconnected much at all. Most people don't know them. And also, they look really boring. And he made each of them individuals that stand out and that I understood, like, including the big cast of villains that shows up. Because, I mean, by the end of this, we probably have a cast of 20 to 24 new characters. And, like, right. I have a decent grasp on all of them i think and i think the art does not help because like their costumes are all pretty generic and uh anonymous looking to me but like the fact that the writing really um does a good job propping them up all up and fleshing them out because I, I have that problem just with like x-men comics does this a lot where it's just like here's all the shiar and i'm just like well i don't they're all anonymous nameless you know it's very dudes. legion of superheroes right it's yeah very well legion. that's a good example where i get like kind of overwhelmed yeah. i'm like well i don't know who any of these people are and their names are boring and their costumes are boring and they don't stick out but this uh lightning lad is not boring i will not accept that as uh, <laughs> I, I haven't i have not read enough legion of superhero <laughs> Uh, the, the, the Levitt's costumes or the Levitt's era costumes are so off the wall. I feel like in some cases it's hard to say that someone's anonymous. Like, I, you know, when you have like cosmic boy wearing like kind of, kind of like a corset, like, you're like, okay. <laughs> Who's, yeah, for sure. This is, is unique. Spectrum? Is that the, uh, yeah, that's Spectrum. That's the Green so, Lantern analog, right? Yes. He, he is analog. the so I don't, I don't know that we need to do a rundown of, of all no, of No, no, I'm, I'm not. I just wanted to point out he's the one costume that I think is pretty rad and like sticks okay. out like he's got the, the all the rainbow colors that meet in the middle for a little white patch i think that's a cool for design the power prism yeah exactly pretty cool design so and like no I, I i'm gonna agree with you on that um hyperion and power princess are are like so superman and wonder woman that i just thought of them as that for the most sure, part like right, they yeah. seemed completely interchangeable in terms right. of and they just said like slightly less interesting costuming so right up front how how do both of you react to the marvel version of the Justice League. Like, is that an exciting hook on its face? Because we've read some of those Avengers issues through the My Marvelous Year journey here, like for people reading along with the club. And I don't think those comics have felt too exciting. They felt more like weird little novelty things, you know, where it's yeah, kind of yeah. like a wink, wink, nod, nod at, at the competitor. Whereas this time it's really like, hey, what if we actually did the Justice League story that DC can't do because they need that world to keep going? Like, is that... I guess, is that hook interesting to you? Um, because we've seen it done a lot in other mediums now. Like, I don't know, I think of even like Morrison's JLA, New World Order in the 90s does this kind of thing. Um, a lot of like, I don't know, even like crime syndicate stuff. So I'll, I'll pause there. What it, what was your guys' reaction in terms of the hook? Is it exciting? Or were you like, eh, I, I'm not sure about this. Uh, Chris, you can. Uh, oh, sure. Um, I've, I've, I dug the hook. Um, it It is interesting in that this comic clearly exists... At least, at least in the planning stages, I'm not sure about publishing, between Miracle Man mm. and prior to Watchmen, where it kind of seems to almost be sort of sort of a reaction to one and a precursor to the other. Yeah. So in some ways, the, the conceit is really kind of cool to me. And the fact that it the art is almost slightly throwback, like I feel like uh, it, it's... It's pretty. It's pretty house style. Yeah, like, very much. Uh, so. it's, it's not very functional. Yeah, you've got like the really experimental stuff that's being done in New Mutants and um, a bunch of other books at the time. And this feels almost like they're trying to meld a silver or bronze age style with sort of these new big ideas. But they know that it's something that they cannot do main universe. I wonder if Grunwald came up with the idea of the Squadron Supreme first or just came up with the the sort of nuts and bolts concept. Right. And they yeah. had to sort of, I, like, get it into, well, we can't have Spider-Man do this. Or, yeah, that, it, like, mm. how do you come back I from don't, that? that? That was one of my questions. I was, like, talking to people about this. Where it's just like, so why is this a DC analog? Why are we, like, winking at DC here? Because this doesn't seem... Like, is this just the superhero team that we have that we're just like, well, we've used them before. We can toss them into this conceit of, like, superheroes taking over the world. But, like, we don't, you know, we, we can break these toys, basically, in a way that we don't want to yeah. break the Avengers. Because um, besides that, like, I don't know what this, you know, what what why it is necessary. It's almost distracting to me that it is just like, oh, okay, it's, it's Aquaman. So what is this saying about, is this trying to comment on, like, you know, Aquaman or it, it's like it's close right you can tell who's supposed to be who but then the comparison kind of ends there and i'm not sure if it's like commenting on those characters or not anymore and i don't I think, think it's it more is. like 
No. And it's just I think it's more a commentary yeah. on like superheroes as a concept. Right, you know? exactly. Which, yeah. which in a way, it's kind of acknowledging like it's kind of acknowledging DC as the prototype for that. That you know, which which in many ways there are. <laughs> What's that? That seems generous to me that like that that was in their mind. You know, like uh, the... maybe maybe, but I mean, Gr- so like Grunwald's a big superhero guy. Like so, before he starts writing this book, he's an editor at Marvel for I think like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. He's starting his Captain America run at this time. He's going to do that for like ten years. So he's heavily integrated into you know superhero comics, right, as a medium. Um, so I don't I don't know that it's necessarily too much of a leap to say like if we're looking at the the platonic ideal of superheroes, I mean it's kind of Superman and and the Justice League. And even I think Marvel, you can kind of admit that when you're using these analogs and you know like you're kind of going to mess some things up with them, right? Like you're going to you're going to treat them in a way that they, you know, is not the heroic ideal necessarily, which I which I think is part of the appeal of this work. You know, is you're you're doing so like like you're saying, Chris, it's between those two Alan Moore written works, Miracle Man and then Watchmen. Watchmen is the one that Squadron Supreme often gets compared to uh, sometimes quite generously in the sense that like so this is published approximately one year before Watchmen. Um, It's artistically night and day. Like, yeah. like artistically, visually, there's oh, no comparison yeah. between what Bob Hall's no, doing and and Dave Gibbons, right? You you can't it's, you cannot even like the the layouts, the the like the motifs. They're like it is. I, I mean, no no one in Watchmen oh, no, walks you're, around you're, just being like, "You're all being fascist." This is an example of fascism, <laughs> you know. And like, <laughs> no, no, it is you who is being reactionary, you know. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, Watchmen does not spell out its themes by having its characters literally speak them. So I think it gets points just for that kind of, uh, you know, having the subtlety to wrap it in some kind of subtext. Right. No, it's it's like even more comic booky. Like it is it is very it is it's not breaking the mold, but it's using the mold to to like t- try to tell something a little bit more interesting mm-hmm. than normal. Yeah. But it is still like very firmly rooted in like this is this is a 1980s Marvel yeah. comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I so I think. Um, I generally enjoyed this. I think this is pretty good. Uh, I think my main issue... I'm just going to break down my main, like, my big thesis about this comic and what I think, like, the big problem with it is. Hit us. Hit us with that last sentence of the first paragraph, that thesis. Yeah, all right. So, (laughs) I mean, the entire conceit is, like... The world is kind of in a, a downward spiral. They're at like just just pre-apocalyptic. <laughs> it kind of feels like right, like economic yeah. ruin. You know, nuclear Armageddon might be pending. It's kind of like the Watchmen vibe, right? It just feels like the world is just on the brink. And this Justice League analog decides that they need to take over and make things right. And then it becomes like this whole slippery slope thing, right? Like we have the best of intentions, but the road to hell is paved with the best intentions. And you know, you can't completely just like use your power and your will to rearrange society without stomping on human rights and it's you know questions of power and uh you know rights versus like individual rights versus the collective good blah 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 and then what happens is that this justice league group or this i can just call them squadron supreme the squadron supreme the ss (laughs) um start to like i think they initially are like well we're gonna get food to everybody we're gonna get factories going again all right we're gonna take away everyone's guns right we're gonna remove guns okay we're going to brainwash everyone <laughs> and it is that enormous leap where it goes from well like, well first criminals right so it's like first we're gonna brainwash super yes, villains, right but right. then but it's like but it is a leap absolutely yeah and and it is like that is the enormous problem i think with this comment comic is that that like slippery slope thing can maybe be interesting if you sell it in some kind of way where you're just like that they start out with really good intentions and they have like a really clear idea where they want to go and then they just kind of watch it like oh no we backed ourselves in this corner and the only way out is to you know this little compromise and this compromise and then they build a sandcastle of compromises right and like until they're well that that doesn't work sandcastle i don't know um they just continually build until they are now like <laughs> you go to very different beaches than i do <laughs> yeah because man those sandcastle structures <laughs> now, sound incredible and now they are like <laughs> you know literally rewiring people's brains right like and the thing yeah. is it doesn't do that it's just all of a sudden tom thumb rolls in one day and it's just like hey i made a behavioral mod oh, a b mod <laughs> i love how they just keep saying b modded um yeah we made a they're like, hey, dude, don't say behavior. That makes it sound bad. Just call it the <laughs> right, B-Mod. Yeah. Hey, did you get B-Modded, bro? <laughs> it's pretty sick. 
Um, yeah, it, like, he just rolls in with this, and he, everyone's just like, yeah, sounds great. Like, except for Amphibian or Aquaman, and he's just like, no, we can't do this. And that's it. Like, that's I like the to think of him as the descent. deep, actually. I don't know if you've watched The Boys yet, but he had no. very deepish uh, vibes I, I've to seen me. The Boys. Yeah. Do you think, I don't know, the deep is such a creep. Uh, I, I I felt like Amphibian was just like, man, does nobody listen to me? Right, I guess yeah. I will be irrelevant for the rest he's the, of this. He's the good this, version uh, of the deep, yeah. Cause he, mostly just because yeah. he was so friendly with dolphins. <laughs> that was my main my main hook there, yeah. So, oh, so boy. I, I think <laughs> having the comic not kind of feel like it is traveling down a path to its like natural conclusion, because it kind of takes these big leaps for me of these like logical leaps in the characters uh weakens it a little bit and then i think the other problem is just like i kind of think mark grunewald has a very childish idea of like politics and power <laughs> um and i think this well is... but uh, so what i'll what i'll i'll step in there and counter yeah, with is please. that when you frame this so wholeheartedly in this superhero genre mm-hmm. some of that i mean i think that's that's kind of too where we get that separation of what people love about Watchmen and what it was able to do versus Squadron Supreme, even if at the end of the day, like, yeah, Watchmen, uh, spoiler alert, ends with a big squid alien monster, right? So, like, let's not pretend it's like, you know, this is this is for grown-ups. Um, but, <laughs> but Squadron Supreme is so wholeheartedly set in the superhero mechanics, yeah. I think. Sure. So the the childishness of it, maybe some of that naivety, I think it's like, it's still dealing conceptually with much bigger issues no, than the genre often tackles i know? i know i i think i guess what i mean is that i feel like i feel like i can sense mark grunewald's um like the blinders he has on about like a, a lack of larger imagination of like the dangers to society right it's like um it's like i just watched brazil for the first time by terry gilliam and it's like this man is terrified of paperwork and plastic surgery Right, and he thinks those are like the down going to be the downfalls of British society. It's like bureaucracy is the stepping stone to fascism, and it just feels like a real dummies idea of like you know how how this how these systems actually function. And it's just like you, I, I kind of get a vaguely similar feeling here, where he's just like, yeah, I mean, if you just you know provide jobs for everyone and take away their guns, well, I mean, you're already most of the way there to a totalitarian dictatorship right and it's just like i i don't know i i think like some, some... they're pieces of a puzzle they're pieces of a puzzle certainly and yeah. i i don't know that each each measure is given equal weight necessarily yeah um so like you know the because there are moments in this that i kind of love like it like in the first issue even like they encounter a gang of looters and it's like the the military police are like shooting at the looters mm-hmm. and the squadron supreme are like what are you doing you're opening fire on these people for stealing stuff and it's like holy cow is that relevant you know so there are these moments of the kind of like you know again that sort of like political ideology that are like really relevant and current i think like that yeah that scene of like the squadron supreme say no more guns they say no more militaries even even though maybe it's simplistic it's also like i don't know it's really relevant no it's not it's, it's, it's really it's something not that we i still think that's with. simplistic it's that i think his commentary and he has characters being like well, if you get rid of, you know, the complete wild amount of guns that Americans have, well, I mean, that's just as... Like, I, you feel like he thinks that that is just one step away from brainwashing them, right? Like, I think that's a very conservative Oh, see, I don't, I don't make that principle. equivalence, I don't think. Because I think I think one step away from brainwashing them is, is brainwashing them. Because, <laughs> like, he, like, he literally because literally, like, everything that they do except for brainwashing them, it's like... Yeah, you can get on board with that. That seems fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, everything <laughs> okay, right. up until, like, brainwashing. And even that is just like, well, you know, maybe they sign up for it. <laughs> right? Like, some of them seem to like it. Like it, It's wild how quickly the brainwashing enters the story and stays exactly, there as sort of, yeah. like, a sort of Damocles that just, like, keeps Well, and it also it. feels like the... Um, it, it almost self it like retroactively rationalizes people being worried about what they're going to do because it's just like well of course it was going to get to this point but then when it gets to that point it's like it kind of comes out of nowhere because it's just like oh we're gonna you know let, let's get all the tractors running again all right let's you know rewire criminals brains and like that, that feels like just one step two step and uh that's actually really interesting so if you took if you took the brainwashing criminals element out of it now you're looking at a squadron supreme that is overhauling the world's political systems without that sort of because I, I think what you're saying like when you say slippery slope it's like a gradual thing and then all of a sudden it's a cliff 
right, yeah, with the sure. brainwashing. And it's clearly getting us to that end of, of Nightwing being right. So like Kyle Richmond at the start of this is like, nope, I won't do it. You can't be in charge. People should make their own decisions. And it's it's one of those, I always have this because we see this come up a lot, right? Like DC's Injustice. Um, there's, there's all sorts. We saw this in Avengers not that long ago with Vision, where Vision was just like, hey, I can make the world better. And I kind of wanted to just see him do it. You know, there's that part of me that's like, yeah, just do it, man. <laughs> like sure. it would, yeah, it would be better. You know, um, but in Squadron Supreme, it's like Kyle Richmond steps away and says, you're going to mess this up. You're going to, you know, it's it's too close to being the fascist state that you're trying to avoid. And then Grunewald is kind of insistent on getting us there. You yeah, know? it's almost right. frustrating in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I well, I mean, something I never thought I'd, I don't know, a, a comic I didn't think I would be like favorably comparing to things. But I think Injustice does a pretty good job of doing a similar conceit of just like the slow build of Superman you know, with all the best intentions in the world, just losing, like, his way little by little until it is totally out of control and, like, rationalizing mm-hmm. little by little. Actually, there's a scene at the end of this that I think had that power for me that felt like it was selling the struggle to make that decision, which is that Nighthawk, um, the, uh, the the Hawkman analog, I don't remember his name, Black Eagle. Golden Archer. Yeah. Who was literally called, oh, Hawkman, excuse me, no, that's Blue Eagle, you're right. Yeah. Um swoops in and like finds the the bad guys who are deprogramming people's brains and they have like hawkman or nighthawk has this whole like tortured moment of trying to decide like that they have to do this and they go through he goes through this big moral struggle um deciding with whether he has to or can or whatever um wipe uh the eagle guy's head or his brain sorry all these character names are like giving me a hard time trying to remember them um have have you and, and I think gone that, to the that, hairdresser lately and had one of Tom Thumb's uh, big big baskets placed over your head because your brain may have been scrambled slightly? If you start saying you really like mutant massacre, I'll I'll know my technology has been successful. <laughs> so I just want you to confirm yes or no. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I actually think like that at the end sold that better with someone who like despised this idea who then had to go through with it because it was like all the superheroes going through with it was just like none of them seemed reserved about it it wasn't this like hand rigging like well right this is a bad idea but like it will bring around genuine good and i guess we can make this moral compromise blah 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 it was just like you know it was already already assumed that they would all be on board with it uh, yeah anyway yeah, that's that's, that's kind of the large large picture complaint also uh, oh i mean 1971 clockwork orange already exists so uh <laughs> <laughs> kind of feel like he just watched Clockwork Orange and was like, well, I could do that. And then sure. It is wild there. how in some ways comics seem like ever so slightly behind other mediums in terms of, uh, and this, this is a much bigger problem and not always true, but you'll, you'll see something where a comic will be like somewhat of a reaction on a movie. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I totally understand what you mean by uh, this happened 14 years yeah. ago. Yeah. I mean, it is literally the same idea, right? Like, what about society just reprogramming criminals to not be criminals anymore and taking away your free will? I mean, this doesn't get quite so into it personally, but it does to some degree. You know, you have, like, these criminals who are who hate the idea of being reprogrammed, and you have some that are like, no, I was happier then, and, you know, uh, it kind of has that discussion to some degree. Sure. Chris, what were your big takeaways? So, had you read Squadron Supreme before we, uh, before we asked you to join here? No, uh, and that uh, I picked it specifically because I'd been meaning to read it, and I knew I would have thoughts on it. Yeah, because uh, I, I kind of knew the general conceit. Um, my big takeaways were it it is it is um, a comic that um, other comics do a similar idea, but kind of better. But in some ways, I kind of like the bridging effect. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier. This seems like it's moving from like silver bronze trying to push marvel superheroes maybe a little bit into well i don't even know what that age is called i think uh people call it different things but into in, into the into that sort of 80s um sort of um reflections on morality yeah, yeah. uh it, it's interesting though in that it doesn't fully abandon like the tropes of yesteryear right and i kind of i kind of liked that like there's still these like intense soap opera bits that generally work pretty well that, yeah Though that I I absolutely love yeah. them. I I feel like the the melding of tones worked better than I expected. Uh, but it is jarring in some ways where you'll get something where it'll be like, oh, this is like super comic booky, and then also like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put this person under this thing and and wipe their brain, and they're gonna be like that for six issues, and you're gonna kind of get used to it. Mm. And then you're going to have to, you being being me in this case, going to have to sit on the uncomfortability, uncomfortability of how uh, these criminals were made into into good people. Mm-hmm. And you kind of started to like them as superheroes. Mm-hmm. 
and then like when they were were like melded back i was like oh it's it's super weird how how i got used to the fact that there were these people who had like their their identities fundamentally changed they got in on the soap opera and i was like oh they're here now cool i'm just gonna yeah that's what i i uh, treat them like everybody i else. think if mark grunwald was not as talented as at, as he is at like fleshing out these characters like he, he has a kind of a claremont affinity for that for like um, you know, just like bringing a cast of characters forth and like having you become familiarized with them. And if he was not as good at those dynamics, and they are pretty basic little melodramas, right? It like is really it's a lot of like, oh, I love him. He doesn't love me. I'm gonna brainwash him, and now she loves me too. Whatever. Like they're not tale as old as time, right? I, I don't know. It's <laughs> it, it's not like particularly complicated stuff. Often it's it's yeah. very simplistic kind of melodrama stuff. But I think it's effective enough. And without that, I think this comic would be much more of a drag, much more kind of stuck up its own butt about, like, trying to examine all these lofty ideas. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't do enough of the one to justify getting rid yeah, of the other, yeah, for exactly. sure. I think, um, I, yeah, it, it's it's not... Yeah, exactly. It's not quite <laughs> good enough at either one to, to just be one or the other. I, I kept thinking that where I was just like, also, if, if I didn't know that this was a 12-issue series start to finish in just one and done, 12 issues... You know, if I just looked at Squadron Supreme and read a few issues and thought it was 45 issues long, I, I don't know if I would have gone all, as far as I did with it. Um, but mm. knowing it did have a you know an end point to it, I think um, definitely. Oh, it benefits me. from having an end for sure. Yes. I, I think that helps a lot because yeah. I, I do think it, I I remember this series pretty fondly. Um, I think I've ranked it pretty highly on some lists. You know, like it's a it's important for what it does, definitely for the time, especially. Um, it just in terms of like Marvel stories, don't ask a lot of these questions, right? And and I think what you're saying too, Chris and Zach, is like Grimwald and, and Hall and the team, like they make you care about the characters. Like you know, like I have more affinity for Tom Thumb than I would have thought possible. Yeah, you yeah, know, I mean, I, I probably have more affinity for Tom Thumb than like <clears throat> the Adam who he's based on or whatever. You know, <laughs> like it's you know it's a character that, I'm interested. That's fair. In. <laughs> the Adam is the Adam's vanilla pudding. It's totally fine. <laughs> right, totally. Um but it like I I don't know that it's a book I ever really wanted to reread. Like I don't I kind of knew I liked it, but I also thought like man, going back to this, I bet it's going to feel pretty dated in ways that I don't again like just to bring up the Watchmen comparison because it's there. I mean, I think I think part of the reason Squadron might compare favorably for some people to that book, which is a super unfair comparison, but it's just, you know, because they're published close to each other, um is because it's so superhero, you know, it's so uh, you know, like you're saying, it's it's very much like, yeah, this is a Marvel superhero comic even visually, it's like almost throwback even for the time. You know, like Bob Hall's mm-hmm. style is is very much like late 70s bronze age it's not moving forward into even stuff like john ramita jr's doing on x-men or like you know certainly not like sinkevich on new mutants or or any of that stuff so it's it's very much set in a comfortable place i think but then still elevating all these questions of of morality and even less than the morality just more like how do you make how do you actually make the world right what what does it actually look like if the superheroes did the thing we're always kind of maybe back of our mind hoping they do and just fix everything you know it's kind of that great and this is you know i won't spoil what it's from but like reed richards at one point in comics has a solve everything idea and like it's such a fundamental and awesome way to envision a superhero functioning mm-hmm. and that's kind of what hyperion when he kicks off like the, these utopia protocols like that's the idea it's just like hey what if we just fixed everything um and it's kind of fun to watch the superhero team actually try to do that and know that there's an end and know that that's the story um even though you know obviously like 14 years from now grunwald will return to the team <laughs> in a graphic novel and, and they'll keep floating yeah because this is common yeah <laughs> it never ends yeah yeah i just think um i i, I think i would have just enjoyed it if a few of those little like loose ends and plot holes were, were patched up, right? There's just like a few too many, and, and it was almost all thematic, right? Like I think plot-wise, plot-wise and character-wise is where I enjoyed this the most. Yeah. It was when I tried to like start thinking about this and putting it in any kind of real context of comparing it to you know like real systems of power, and, like the way that real people relate to political power that it just kind of kept coming up wanting for me, um, because like which is the hardest thing this comic's trying to do. I mean, right. to its credit, yeah. like the absolute, because because that bar even is not a bar we hold up to to Daredevil: Born Again, right? Like a work we're just talking about. Like it's, but you know, Squadron Supreme is asking those questions, I th- and because I know, I it's mean, asking those questions, you can judge it on that on that merit. Yeah, well, but then Daredevil: Love It More, I think, is going to these like lofty heights of trying to you know like really discuss things that are 
punching above its weight class. And I think that, like, at least for me, totally, totally nails what it's going for. I just don't think this uh, quite got there. You know, like, there's the interesting idea, because Nighthawk at the end, like, confronts Hyperion with, I think, a very interesting thought, which is this system you've built up, it might be perfect, but, you know, it only functions perfectly because you are here to run it. And if you are not here to run it, like, it, it is a system that is dependent on the power of a few good-intentioned people, and they need to be the here, here. What happens when the next people you hand it down to aren't as good-intentioned as you? And that's a good idea. That's an interesting idea. Like, But the thing is, that conversation happens immediately after the Squadron Supreme just handed all their power away, which is kind of, I felt like was not um, acknowledged enough in the comics. Like, the Squadron Supreme was like, all right, we fixed it. Earth is better. We are stepping down from all, like, management roles of everything. And, like, handing yeah. power back to the, you know, like, we got things back on track, we righted the ship, and now we're stepping back. So then that other conversation then felt invalid to me, um, even though I think that's an interesting idea, right? That would have been a much more, I think that would have had a lot more punch if it was like, hey, everything's running smoothly, now we're just going to sit here on our throne and, you know, like, keep our hand on the wheel and make sure it's going to continue to run smoothly. And then he confronted him with that idea of, like, what about the next generation of heroes? Like, how can you be sure they'll be as good as you are? Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I net out. It's pretty good. Um, I, Chris, I'm curious what you think. In terms of, like, I don't know, comics you've gone back and read that you that had a, a certain level of acclaim, um, did, this, did this measure up to what you expected from it? Uh, or do you think, like, it wasn't, it didn't necessarily hold up to, I don't know, kind of this, again, like, cult classic status it has? No, I, uh, I, I, I was maybe ever so slightly let down in that I think I expected the, well, this comic presents a lot of questions. Like, uh, like Zach said, it, it, it often kind of doesn't reach full conclusions or slightly undercuts itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it like, it is interesting in, in both ways that both the people in power and the person trying to stop the people in power gets, cor- they both get corrupted. Yeah. And that in in that way, it's not really it, it doesn't make like a full conclusion other than just this situation is going to cause a mess one way or the other. Um, but not it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily assign like a correctness to any any particular party. Uh, and not, not to say that it, it, it does. I think sometimes when you paint someone as the good guy and the bad guy, you're actually not uh, transcending superhero comics at all, uh, since that's uh, often what's right, done yeah, there. Yeah. But it, in a lot of ways, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought um I thought for the time it was it was it was really kind of breaking the mold. Um, it's inter- the it's interesting though. I think 1980s Marvel is honestly one of the best times that Marvel ever had. So um, it's just funny looking at this compared to some of the other really excellent runs that were happening happening alongside mm-hmm. it. And you almost wonder if it got sort of swallowed up by like the magnitude of some of this these other like incredible books that were happening alongside it, where it's it. it it is cult classic status rather than classic status because the classics loom so large next I mean, to my, it. My money would just be that it's, you know, it's a team of superheroes who no one knows, like, and that's it, right? Like, I think it is it is the, you know, the weird Marvel winking at DC thing, and they're not doing a consistent always running series, and they didn't do it before, and they don't do it afterwards, and so I, I just think it probably doesn't have that same... I mean, people are excited about Superman, or um, Spider-Man, they love Spider-Man, and they want to read more Spider-Man, but it's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, people people like what they know. And, yeah, like, yeah. like Squadron Supreme is nobody's is nobody's first comic. You're not going to see it on on, on top Times. And even if you love uh, you know, this comic, top do you love the characters particularly, right? Like, do you, do you think people are like, oh yeah, Wizard, like Wizard and uh, that I, guy? When Wizard, when Wizard thinks his family's in danger, and he runs out and collects the last gun in existence, he's like, and just rushes give me your back most, your most like dangerous Rambo. machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> Spraying bullets he just bursts into, into the room full of criminals, <laughs> like uh, yeah, like Rant, like Sly Stallone, fire and bullets. Uh, that was that that made me laugh out loud at Wizard. So I will give him that. Not not, not to get too cinema sins on that one, but that was such a weird move to me because I'm like, <laughs> you're faster than bullets. Like, why wouldn't you just go in and punch all yeah. of them? Yeah, and he just sprays bullets across on. the entire room, like of you know the people at all his saves. Yeah, but but in some ways that was kind of powerful, and that like it it, it, it was. It, it almost did that sort of proto, like, let's really humanize the... the and, and not to say that Marvel doesn't do this all the time. That's literally, like, when Marvel came on the scene, that's what they did was humanize superheroes. Yeah. But it's it's interesting to see it applied to an analog for The Flash and making him kind of, like, 
completely terrified in a moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, compared to like say Hyperion, who is like just a he's just a block of block of wood, yeah. right? Like yeah. he is not particularly interesting. Yeah. Even when he becomes blinded and like has to kill his own clone, uh, there's still not like a ton to that guy. Which is a sentence that is very interesting on the surface. Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> yeah, well, Superman and that's one of the times where it gets comic booky and cool. Yeah. Right. Like. That that's one thing that like when when they when comics tried to get real serious like sometimes they they almost lost some of that like hey this is a world where there um, Tom Thumb's gonna go to the future and his plan's gonna fail because the the thing he's looking for is just is just penicillin and vitamins because it turns out in the future everybody's cool and they don't need anything <laughs> yes right yeah yeah <laughs> got what just the one of my favorite lines here that really cracked me up was the um. The I, I don't know who he was like a DC analog of, but like he looked like Doctor Doom. Actually, he was the guy who helped out Nighthawk um, in like a full oh, suit he's of armor. A, he's a Doctor Doom analog. I think I think we start crossing Marvel at that point. Okay, know? yeah, that was confusing. Yeah, he might be like Brainiac, but no, he is the Doctor Doom. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. that guy. He like talks about how he created the decriminalizing machine or the the recriminalizing machine to deprogram people's brains. Yeah, and they're like on the phone. And he's just like, are you sure it works? And he's just like, yes, I have three convicts I just used it on. They're out committing felonies right now. <laughs> I set that, them was, loose that was on by felonies. far. Yeah. yeah, it was. That was by far the best line. Uh, it was oh, incredible. I mean, uh, so not not to rag on it a little more, but this this is something I mean, I've ragged on these comics before in the past, too, which is that it also has that very conservative reactionary idea of criminality is exists in a vacuum. And it's because of like the diseased mind of individuals rather than any kind of, you know, like, material conditions for people, right? So, like, th- that is the thing where it's like, we fixed, you know, the economy is perfect, there are jobs for everyone, everyone is fed and warm and has work if they want it, but we still have a crime problem that needs to be solved. Like, those are separate issues in this comic, and, uh, mm. you know, that's, that's right. a very boring idea to me you know it feels very well especially when you're especially when it's super villains versus just all crime because like super yeah. villains you can kind of get in that mindset of like, yeah oh, I oh that's I'm, the structure I'm, I'm of these fine. narratives yeah exactly yeah right because they they just become like freudian no. ciphers right like they you know right that then, then it becomes the batman problem that's uh, been floating around recently with the <laughs> with, yeah. but the no it is it is like completely wild that that he treats crime as a separate problem from poverty i am completely with you yeah. there and the, i mean like, that's comic hey why do people steal like, yeah. stuff just because they feel exactly. like it i mean that's a hundred percent of the so fest. many it is so though. many it is comic comics it's, i mean how many just like psychopaths are like waiting in alleys just because they love to stab grandma like that's all they're in it they're in it for is just like making the old people yeah. squeal that's that's you know that, that that's it though that, that's it, the only reason they and in some ways like that works better in some comics where the conceit of the comic involves that whereas this conceit of the comic is about social exactly, issues right. and correcting social yeah. issues and this social issue is treated as its own little weird comic book thing whereas everything else is rooted very firmly in like real problems like this you know captain america is not really oh it is probably like very rarely thinking about who who's getting fed but this comic is but then it's also like thinking about the spider-man problem of what are we going to do with all these all these crooks who hang out in alleys right yeah yeah yeah, totally. yeah. that yeah. that actually ties directly into my biggest critique of this which start like when i started reading it again it just really stood out to me especially now and it's like this book is so white and so straight you know, oh, yeah. like it, like it's especially white, the yeah. racial elements. It's like if you're going to ask these questions about what are the problems in America in particular, and everyone in the book is white, you know, and it's like it. I don't know. It's like I, mean, it I don't want to bail wanna, it out it just because it's analoging that, yeah. old school Justice League. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't want to talk about it at all. And that to me just feels like kind of irresponsible. I mean, again, it's like we're holding it up to a very high standard. But I think it's guess the standard what? Like most comics aren't doing that itself, well right now. Yeah. yeah, it's the question it's asking. Well. I mean, this this came out after like things like Hard Travel and Heroes. It's not like it wasn't any, something nobody thought right, of. Right. I, I mean, even no, in totally. Marvel, even in Captain America, right? JMD Mateus was like discussing race in a big way with Falcon, right? Like, and in on a very street level, in you know somewhat intelligent ways, right? Like, had, had a much much more nuanced take on it. That's what I mean. I think like based on this and reading Captain some Captain America, and I've only read like three or four of his issues of Captain America so far. But uh, I, I kind of just think Mark Grunewald has a very simplistic idea of, like, American politics. But he does keep sticking his nose into it. Um, and it's just well, lucky I mean, that I, he knows I wouldn't how to even, write a I think comic. ascribing that to the creator is, is 
of step too far too in the sense of like i have no idea what his personal views on things were but in the way he's able to uh present that sure. via yes superhero okay. comic sure that, yes. that is i guess that's a worth a distinction worth making yeah that, that's what i mean question like, did this have the code on it? Was this one, or are we far beyond that uh, at this point? I I feel like it would have. Um, that's interesting. I don't know for sure. I wonder if that's why they had to, if if they had to do it this way. If this is editorial. Now, again, this is reaching, right? Like we have no clue. Can Can you repeat but, that? I missed the cutout for a second. Oh, certainly. I was wondering if this was a co- if this was a comic that was was stamped with the code, oh, right? Sure, with, the, right. with the this has been approved by the comics code, where things like crime had to be portrayed in a certain way i mean at Um, this point dc or dc marvel was so like skirting around that with stuff right like we've read so many i mean anything miller was writing with daredevil right like daredevil really gets away with just like watching you know criminals i i don't know i i I, this feels very tame compared to some of the other stuff we've been reading the sin eater saga and the uh um yeah i guess even jmd mateus's stuff on captain america this feels pretty yeah no it's it's tame it's tame i think even by even by code standards, um, you, you know, because they, right, there's some sorts of things where like pushing the envelope for the time, you know, like we've talked before, like Marvel here has a, a pretty gross editorial policy about like, you know, basically we're just not going to talk about homosexuality. So writers and creators have to like sneak that in, code it, right? Yeah. It has to be all subtextual. Um, so like, no, this book is not pushing the envelope on that. Um, and same with really any racial discussion at all i don't know it just it just really hit me in the face this read where i was like man it doesn't even try a little yeah. <laughs> like it's kind no of... if, if you compare it to something like x-men it's it just looks like kind of embarrassing and even like x-men at this point was 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 super imperfect it was mm. you know you could tell everybody was trying their best but th- this is it this is so white bread um i i i it had i mean it was, it was obviously an intentional choice i wonder if that was just supposed to be like a reflection on like these like 50 silver age style comics where that was often if, the if case that was the but case, I, I think it undercut yeah, itself if that was the case it, there's a lot of stuff here where i like i almost wish the comic would cut the legs out from under these heroes a little more like it felt a little afraid to damn them too much you know and it's like i i almost wish it would let them be a little badder and like in a little worse and yeah. and have a more critical eye of them i think that would be a slightly more uh interesting comic to uh to watch like i mean it doesn't have to be like irredeemable or something but just like i don't, I don't know at the end of the day you kind of walk away from these heroes being like well they did try their best and like you know it just it was a failed experiment and some people paid for it but like you don't feel like people were just you know like you don't think hyperion is just like god the hubris on that man right like the you know uh, it's not probably like Reed Richards and then whatever you're talking about, Dave. Yeah, no, it doesn't sell it quite so well. I mean, I think Golden Archer probably gets the most obvious damnation um, in the sense that, like, he brainwashes or tries to brainwash his love interest. Um, what is she, Lady Bird? Or is that just the movie I just watched with my wife? I can't, <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> no, Lark. Either way. Lark's Lady out. Lark. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I, I think it could, it could go farther. There's kind of a a version of this that I'm wondering now if it would have been more successful if like if you could have visually had this a little more modern or segments of it you know where it's kind of like okay what is the 80s style of this story and then kind of everything we're reading is very deliberately throwback you know like the way we the way we read a comic now and if they were like we're doing a, a silver age you know not parody necessarily but pastiche right where it's like the style changes and you get the kirby crackle and the and the bubbles and all that right the pop art stuff um where you know like oh they're throwing back to that era because that's what this reads like but it's not i don't i don't know that it's necessarily that deliberate a choice i feel like it's cooler if it is it's cooler if it's like yeah we visually attempted to recreate 60s uh justice league comics sure that to me is a lot smarter (laughs) and more interesting yeah but it it, i that is absolutely not the case i think the 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 artist just a little too like like you said earlier 70s house style I mean, whereas like if they were going to try doing something like a, like a carmine infantino it would have been like so ex- explicitly different yeah yeah uh, and i i completely agree with you i think that would have been super rad and would have would have would have sold the story a bit better to me um i i think that would have been kind of a sublime choice uh or even if they wanted to do it like kirby style i mean i was going pretty far back with like really early silver age stuff right right yeah, no, I mean, no, is, it's is good. there even um, a like a splash page in this whole thing? Like, and there's some single page splashes. I think you know they they kind of do those at the beginning at this in this era. Every first page mm, is a splash, yeah, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. But but other than that, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, there's 
I, yeah, the, in terms of like visual, visually distinctive layouts, I mean, it's it's uncommon. Um, it, it, most of the value, I think very, very high percentage is conceptual and in the character work. Um, and it's, I, I don't know, I almost feel bad hitting Bob Hall too hard <laughs> for some of this stuff. Again, he doesn't pencil all of it because um, he's doing, I don't know, like it, it seems like he's telling the story the way the the collaboration was meant to tell it you know like mm-hmm. i don't as far as i know but again it just seems like yeah it's kind of lacking that element that yeah it doesn't it. have much of a spark to it although i mean i will just say like i think it's laid out pretty well like i think he's got a good eye for layout it's just uh it's not that visually interesting it is clean, clean and yeah. i think the action actually works quite well like there's a a big fight scene at the end that was surprisingly like dynamic and clear-eyed in its you know like execution and like where all the moving parts were for me except yeah. for the fact that um blue eagle dive bombed a guy named pinball who's just like a big rolling orb of a man and he like he's kind of bouncing boy he dive bombs yeah. this guy and breaks pinball's back and or like causes internal damage and like kills him instantly right and you find that out later and then later it just is listing the casualties and it's like pinball broken spine blue eagle broken neck and i was like whoa blue eagle died i didn't I missed that, and I, like, went back, and, like, nope, it was just the moment he hit pinball, there's a little, like, snap! Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, they don't even acknowledge that he dies in the moment. Like, he just dive bombed you... head first and slammed into a man, and then they just were like, all right, moving on. <laughs> Did you it was think one that final... snap, exactly. too. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Did you think that final battle was too casualty-heavy? Because it really starts to kind of go wild with like taking characters out i thought it was fine i just like i didn't have a i don't know i wasn't like particularly connected i was just like oh well one of them's gonna win i guess <laughs> like i wasn't um, con- concerned with like you know who who won because at that point I, I don't think i had a, like a moral side i didn't have a moral stand yeah. in this fight i think tom <clears throat> thumb was the character that that uh Maybe not everybody, but I I think that the story really tried to get you invested in Tom Thumb, maybe more than anyone else. And he died kind of like several issues before this in a way that reminded me slightly of the Simpsons. Like, and Tom Thumb went to the future and died a week later. Oh, that that (laughs) panel is so weird. That that felt like a... uh like a sitcom joke that they would like, you know, cut to, yeah. Like it, it, yeah, it felt, it felt cut like the paper joke. out of him and just, yeah, <laughs> pick him up off the page. But after, after that, it was, it was, I was less invested in the character work and more invested in kind of just where things mm-hmm, were going. Yeah. So to me, the casualties were, were plenty appropriate. I mean, these, these, uh, these folks were never, you know, theoretically never going to see them again. You know, of course we did, but, um, and, it just seems at that point like okay we're gonna just gonna see some some uh, some results of the actions of everybody throughout this comic and it's gonna it's just gonna be fairly casualty heavy. Um, it's interesting in that and a lot of this comic seemed like the the tone was interestingly dark for the art portraying it like all of these characters sort of dying all at once and it's still like very like oh it appeared that his back was broken and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah right uh and it's, and it's very that, bright too visually like it's all like oh it happens an, in the day it's an incredibly bright yeah. comic yeah it, very few things like are are dark or sinister I, I think the 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 brainwashing scene was really the only scene of note that happened at night well no i guess the fight with nuke also happened at night um but no, the, the, the final fight was this very, like, in other circumstances would have been like a, like, this is the final battle between the, the heroes and the villains. It's taking place in broad daylight, and it's everything's very above board. But it's it uh, it was it made it a little more uncomfortable to have it this way. I think if it would have been sort of a darker palette, um, or even just a, a, a more, um, like, or a different penciling style, it maybe would have seemed a little bit more appropriate. I don't think we have gotten I was all... into that era of Marvel like whatsoever into like the dark where the inclination is to go for like nighttime alleys and stuff like I, I just don't think the coloring work has like moved on to that place because I, I don't think I can't think of anyone except for Miller and Jansen on Daredevil who really do the like the dark stuff even when there's like dark subject material like Mutant Massacre in the sewers it is still like bright blue walls and clear you know there's there's not a lot of shadows and there's not a lot of uh darkness i think just overall right it uh i i think the 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 tonal dissonance in it sometimes felt jarring but in sometimes felt jarring in a way that 
kind of left me uncomfortable mm. in a way that I felt the story was trying to mm. do. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of different ways to interpret what happens here, you know? So like definitely, I think different readers are going to come with this with their perspective where they say, you're going to attribute some some things like you're saying that maybe it was trying to to have that tonal dissonance make you feel a, a little uncomfortable as opposed to like, no, that's just off. And I, I think that's fair. And I think it's a comic that asks big questions and it's very interesting. It's worth a read for sure. Um, I don't, think it held up quite as well as maybe I had hoped. I, I know it didn't. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's trying a lot. And I appreciate the ambition behind it, if nothing else. Because again, like, this could be a total, like, you know, Squadron Supreme characters we don't care about already that aren't important in a maxi series that just could be completely forgotten. And instead, it stands on its own as this work that we're sitting here talking about. And like, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of big questions it asks. Yeah, yeah. If if Mark Greenwald had taken this in a let's kind of do a, a Justice League story because I want to do one in the Marvel universe, it would have been such a snooze fest. Oh yeah. So like uh, like above uh, above all else, if you're gonna do anything, just don't be boring, right? Mm-hmm. And in in some ways, I feel like Mark at least like told a, an interesting story, and it was a news it was new ish story. Um, and that yeah, I gotta. Even though I think I think we've been we've been appropriately critical of it, I I gotta give the the entire team props for coming up with something cool and unique in uh, in an era where uh, a lot of cool and unique stuff was happening, but it was just kind of starting to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess I I'm with you that I I think like if everyone was not working on at at such a high level of um like just just their craft for like creating a interesting to read. Comic, you know, like <clears throat> that thing where just like an Avengers comic, maybe the background story is as interesting as any other one, but the characters talking to one another is just like absolutely dull, and you feel like you know they have no individual voice. That's like a big problem with the Avengers comic. That that can just make such a difference. It's like I, I don't need this big dynamic story happening if like I'm still just having fun hanging out with these characters. And he did a good enough job of that that like it kept me through what I had, you know, bigger problems with the plot and with the, the kind of, like, thematic resonance of the larger story. Yeah, I mean, I would say comparatively, I definitely like Squadron Supreme more than just about any Avengers stuff we've read of late. You know, I, I do think it's got yeah, yeah, I guess more I'd to sink so your too, teeth yeah. into yeah. when you put it in those terms, at, at least. Um, so, okay, so final, say, yeah. final question, and we don't have to talk about this for a long time, but I was trying to look up, like, any like i don't know really interesting takes of this on youtube and uh i didn't find a ton yeah but i did find a lot of um squadron supreme next up in the mcu takes do you no after reading way. this do you care or do you want that to happen i mean right, they Zach, just we get gotta, sued. we got a strong no no no, no. i meant like no way would they do that like when they just get sued <laughs> Right, like I'm, I'm almost surprised that they were allowed to print. I this. don't know. These are, I mean, Hyperion's a Marvel character at this point. Like in his, I own mean, the right. boys exists, right? Like, I, I that, guess that what the, the boys like is like yeah. so clearly, you know, like satire, right? Or like par- parodying. It. I think but if like you... this, this isn't really parodying it. It's just like, well, it's the Green Lantern, but it's, uh, it's just he's a little different this time. <laughs> he's, he's just slightly sleazier, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm not. I wonder if DC hadn't told these dark stories in cinema, if it wouldn't be that way. But man, imagine like yeah. Snyder Cut comes out, then like Squadron Supreme comes out. People would be like, what are they doing? This is such a riff off. Like the brightest, lightest Squadron Supreme. Just because like, I, you know, that is that thing of a lot of, I think, contemporary comics critics are, are kind of calling for a move away from that. At least the grim and gritty ethos kind of, you know, the worst the worst elements of that and i think squadron supreme in interesting ways like kind of taps into that sort of more hopeful optimistic version of superheroes um at its core or at least it can right you can kind of tell any story you want with them because they're analogs and you can do whatever you want but it's got that potential um which is which is interesting i don't i don't know that i'm super game for a an mcu like crossover or whatever but if they appeared in some sort of multiverse story where you know they were they were around and they had to deal with them i do think that could be potentially interesting if you get a multiverse hopping avengers dealing with Hmm. like a squadron supreme earth where they are let's say they're in the middle of like hey we made this earth utopia it's pretty great (laughs) check it out like that's an interesting conversation potentially like why haven't you done this yet avengers that sort of thing oh and then they could they could kind of explore the ways where it doesn't work i'm so glad you you reminded me of this because this was actually like uh the pillar of me being like mark grunwald cannot uh 
<laughs> like talk about politics in any kind of coherent way here because uh, there's a, ca- a crossover issue here with Captain America that I actually hopped off in red where yeah. Nighthawk goes over to Captain America and like asks for his help in the Fantastic Four and you know he's like come to my universe and help us you know like overthrow the government and Captain America gives this speech that is so funny he says it's a difficult call we're being asked to go to a foreign world and help a rebel change its form of government this strikes me as wrong we do not, after all, go around our own world and alter governments whose policies we disagree with. Uh, <laughs> which is like... I mean, Captain America does not. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, But... <laughs> uh, yeah, please, Captain America. Yeah, which we is he, is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that, that idea, is, it was pretty funny. That was wild to see it at the end of an issue. It was like, continued in Captain America 200-whatever. I was like, it's what now? <laughs> and it's pretty meaningless. He goes there and asks for his help, and then he doesn't really get it. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> because Cap loves saying no when people uh, ask for ask for help. Uh, see also sure. the X-Men yeah, right. all the time. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a little mini Twitter rant about that recently, yeah. about how I'm like, I don't, I feel like this is undercutting just a, a lot of stuff when you have this sort of thing happen. I almost wonder if in the MCU, if they would, the MCU has, has gone from like grabbing things from the deep past of Marvel to grabbing things from the incredibly recent present. Um, and I almost wonder if they would, to not spoil anything, um, take some of the squadron Supreme stuff from the newest Avengers run. The, uh, the one that Aaron is currently writing. Uh, that is a very different squadron Supreme to not spoil very much. Um, and we we've we've heard less about them than we should have at this point because they had a mini series that got canceled. But I I almost wonder if that would be that would be kind of what they do. That that is it is incredibly little to do with this with this current story. Um, I know what you mean though. Have, having read those, I can I can see that path uh, potentially more clearly than the multiverse hopping shenanigans that have to take place. You know? I would like multiverse hopping shenanigans. Yeah. I got very excited when they were like, hey, in Spider-Man, there's more than one universe. I'm like, heck yes. And they're like, there's actually no oh, that was such a letdown. more than one universe. <laughs> that it was, was such a letdown. <laughs> um, but we do have, uh, we have Doctor Strange someday when uh, when movies begin again, hopefully, uh, hopefully in the nearest future. So, all right. I think this is going to do it. That yeah. was a good conversation on Squadron Supreme. Um, again, I think this was... Was this going to be part six, Zach? I think it was. It is. It is. So our be. next episode, we should be moving into 1987. We did it. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> we made it. Yeah. 1987 comes next. Months. Yeah. There's, there's we've some been big stuck stuff in I'm excited about coming up. Um, let me see. I mean, Craven's Last Hunt is next month, which I'm just like... My oh, yeah. my expectations could not be higher for this comic. Uh, you want to talk about dark coloring. That's uh, a... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get ready. Yes, yeah, that's go. Mike yeah, Zach, totally. right? Who I've really liked in the past. He does some of those. That issues. is Mike Zach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's Mike Zek in like a way that you're 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 like wait this is Mike Zek cool. uh, I dig it but this is not quite like Mike Zek in the past it's not a it's not Secret Wars Mike Zek which is which, which is actually uh which I like to for good here on there yeah I like to find yeah yeah same um, Chris before we do our little sign off where can people find more from yeah you? pitch pitch people on your your podcast which I've been listening to and enjoying go I mean. Oh yeah, you, you pitch them and then I'll tell them which episodes I was just listening to. Oh sure, um, you can you can find just me on Twitter at strictly worse. Uh, it's a Magic the Gathering joke. I am not going to change it. <laughs> um, but my my podcast that I do with my wife Christina uh, is called Chris's on Infinite Earths. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's Pod. The two of us also write and edit. In my case, uh, for the. Um, Xavier Files website, which uh, sounds like it just talks about X Men, but we have we have branched out quite a bit. We talk about basically everything that isn't DC, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, I went. I just went back and listened to their episodes on the Mutant Massacre. They did two of them, and uh, yeah, it's a really great show. I feel like actually, like if you listen to our show, you're very similar in um, in your structure to our show with uh with some like segments that i really like you have uh i don't know if you're still doing it i haven't listened to like your more recent episodes but your like questions of the week for your the events you're reading those are those are super fun yeah we we still do questions we still do uh the industry industry leading cold opens from uh uh that are always very strange um our accolades, it, it, it's still, yes, exactly. still, still yes. there. We definitely stole a little bit of our structure from uh, Tighten Up the Defense, another great podcast. Yes. Uh, I say stole. I asked them if we could. Do it. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, we're all we're all ripping off someone. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, definitely, highly recommend that show. They uh, 
right up right from the get-go they have a, a really fun like snappy dynamic <laughs> you and your wife have a, a good dynamic <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- thank you. Um, I'm glad to hear it. People always want to go back and listen to our really early stuff, and I'm like, maybe like maybe skip to like the third crossover we do. But they're like, no, you sound so good talking about Secret Wars one or two issues at a time, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it is funny having like a, a back catalog of podcasts now because we're kind of in that position too. Where like, yeah, we're people probably want to yeah. start with our earliest stuff, but I know we got so much better <laughs> just yeah. to, as talking humans, you know, like much deeper into the podcast, but you know. They're out there. They're public. Yep. You can find them. Yep, yep. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Uh, We are going to wrap here. Uh, Again, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff, comicbookherald.com. He's Zach. You can find him online at My Marvelous Year. Music for the show is by Disaster Peace, P-E-A-C-E. And what else do we like to plug? You can find more of our stuff over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. If you like the show and you made it this far, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. That's right. Yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten a, a new review in a little bit, and ooh, I'd love to see one. Ooh, make my and it's day. and we and we've had a hard time getting out of bed for for a while. Yeah. I, I'm gonna say like a month, you know. And it's there's a lot of factors that go into that. It's been a tough year for everyone. Um, but ratings and reviews do help a lot. Oh, actually, so, uh, thanks. I'd say go go listen to my ultimate year. Um, you know that's on a public feed now, and we're going through the ultimate universe. By the time this comes out, we'll probably have four episodes of that out. And uh, uh, if you like this show, you'll probably like that show too. It's very very similar. Yeah. R-I-Y-L, because it's us doing exactly what we do here, talking about the Ultimate Universe. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Chris, for joining. And as always, we'll see you next year. See you next time.